This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to Penny Johnston with ABC Baby Talk podcast. Twins. I wonder if you knew a set growing up. Maybe you have a friend who has twins. Or one day you might be expecting a pair yourself. Thanks to much better birth outcomes and the increase in assisted reproduction, the number of twins born have been on the increase since the 1970s. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics in Australia last year, 4,475 sets of twins were born, representing 1.5% of all births. But more than just being double trouble for their poor old parents and a conundrum to the rest of us if we're trying to tell them apart, twins enable powerful studies of how genetics and environmental factors affect the health and disease of the whole population. Research involving twins has led to major advances across a broad range of disciplines and is now becoming even more important with the advent of new technology. Professor Nancy Siegel, who incidentally is a twin herself, non-identical, has made the study of twins her life work. She studies the twins, both identical and fraternal, who have been raised separately and together. These twins have been able to provide scientists and social researchers insight into a range of traits that could be inherited or could be as a result of the environment in which they were raised. Well, let's hear from Professor Siegel, Professor of Psychology at California State University, Fullerton. Professor Siegel, what can twins teach the rest of us? Twins tell us how much of our behavior, our intelligence, our personality, our interests, our talents are linked to genetic differences among us. And they can also help identify which environmental events are important. In other words, they kind of lead us down the path to tell us how we are the way that we are and how we got to be that way. Now, there's two different types of twins, aren't there? There's the ones that are genetic freaks of nature that are clones of each other and the ones that are just as brothers and sisters or sisters and sisters and brothers and brothers. Right. I guess I don't think of identical twins as freaks of nature. I think of them more as a wonderful natural experiment that allows us to dissect behavior into genetic and environmental influences. The identical twins share all their genes in common, having split from a single fertilized egg within the first two weeks after conception occurs. And the fraternal twins result when a mother releases two eggs at the same time that are separately fertilized by two different sperm. And so fraternal twins share the same genetic relationship as ordinary brothers and sisters, which is 50% of their genes on average. So if we compare the similarities of identical twins to fraternal twins, and for the most part, we will find that identicals are more alike, this demonstrates genetic influence on the trait that we're measuring. Okay, and I should say that the reason that you and I are being quite as flippant as we are about twins is that you are a twin and I'm a sibling of identical twins. Are you an identical No, I'm a fraternal twin. I have a sister who looks nothing like me and is very different from me. And in fact, that's how I got into this field because I was so fascinated as a young child with how we could be so different and how we liked our own sets of friends. And I would see identical twins at school and just kind of be jealous of their very close relationship. But when I got into college and began studying psychology and encountered all the twin research, I was just fascinated both scientifically because it's a simple and elegant way of looking at behavior, but also because I could relate to so much of it in a personal way. Well, I love my own personal genetic experiment, which I call my sisters, because they are identical. And since I've known them from the day they were born, 
I am the only person that can always tell them apart. But there's hilarious stories of best friends, husbands, thinking that my sister wore a wig. Because... <laughs> so I see them as very different, but other people see them as completely identical. Well, I'll tell you something that's interesting is that I find that family members, mothers, fathers, and non-twin siblings do see identical twins as very different because you're around them all the time and you're so sensitive to the subtle differences between them. Whereas someone like me meeting twins for the first time may actually have a better sense of their similarities because I, I don't yet have a sense of what differentiates them. So I find, for example, that mothers and fathers are often very bad judges of twin type. They think identical twins may be fraternal because they're sensitive to the differences. Whereas I see the twins for literally 30 seconds and I can tell if they're identical or fraternal. And I'm completely bamboozled by other twins. It's not, I don't have a particular twin radar. Twins have so many stories to tell us. You know, I think of every twin pair as a different take on human behavior. I think every pair has a certain story, but as researchers, we have to be careful not to generalize from a single case, and we really get our bottom line messages from studying large samples of identical twins and large samples of fraternals. Tell me about your research in the United States, because you've been working for more than 20 years on the phenomenon known as separated twins. Right. For many years, I worked with the Minnesota Study of Twins Raised Apart at the University of Minnesota. We studied a total of 137 sets of separated twins, 81 identical and 56 fraternals. And I've just published a book about this called Born Together, Reared Apart, where I have the methods, the findings, the implications, the controversy surrounding the study. And I'll just share a few of them with you now. We found that the identical twins were much more alike than the fraternal twins in just about every way. And this tells us that most of our behaviors, from intelligence to personality to medical characteristics, do have genetic influences at some level. Of course, the environment clue plays a role as well because none of the identicals were exactly alike in any way. And I've also been so fascinated with the social relationships that evolve between separated twins. And I found that with identicals, they form a certain closeness really quickly. It's as if they've been apart, say, at a vacation. They come together, but they have an immediate rapport, which the fraternal twins show to a lesser degree. I'm also conducting a study right now on young separated twins from China who've been indirectly separated because of the one-child policy. And this is a unique study in that I'm following them as children. So I'm actually tracking development as it unfolds, something we were not able to do with the Minnesota study because we, we uh, recruited them as adults. There's something in my heart that is just so sad at the thought of these separated twins. Were they mostly adoptions that the twins were separated? Yes. Now, in the Minnesota study, they were separated for a number of reasons. They were often reared apart through adoptions in separate families because parents' mother might have died in childbirth or because it was a single mother and to be an unwed mother in those years was considered a social stigma or families did not have the financial resources to care for two babies at the same time. Now, with the young Chinese twins, you know, it's the one-child policy that limits rural families to two children and urban families to one. And with prizing male children, 
you have the abandonment of hundreds of thousands of baby girls, twins among them. And often they're placed in different areas, maybe one at an orphanage or one at a police station. Sometimes they're separated for various reasons. We don't really know why. And different families will adopt them. And in the course of posting photographs on websites or other unusual circumstances, these twins happen to find each other. But I will tell you that that with the internet and the online search engines, more and more twins have been found in recent years. You know, in Minnesota, when the study ended in 1999, we thought that we'd pretty much exhausted the supply. But since then, we've been finding twins uh, separated, say, in one in Korea, one in the U.S. I found many cases like that. And in those families, the families were unable to care for both babies. So they give one away in the hopes of securing a better life for that child. It's really, really quite extraordinary. It's hard to say how many twins are actually separated these days because we just don't know. Many twins are separated and don't know they're a twin and will never, unfortunately, find their co-twin. In the case of identical twins, that sort of computer facial recognition, that Facebook that can recognize a photograph might come in handy. Yes, you're absolutely right. And in fact, even though identical twins are not as frequent in the population as fraternals, the fact that they look alike gives them a much better handle or possibility of finding one another. And in fact, it's often confusion identity that will lead the twins to be reunited. Whereas fraternal twins really have to know that they're a twin, and then they have to undergo searches, which of course is more time and more expensive. So Even though fraternal twins are more plentiful in the population, in Minnesota, as I said, we had 81 identicals and only 56 fraternals because the fraternals have a harder time finding one another. And not only that, they find each other at later ages because it takes them a longer time. Apart from the heartbreak of why these twins were separated, they've provided an amazing scientific resource for you. And what are some of your major findings that um, twins read apart? You know, what, what are they telling us about the genetics of our lives? Well, they're telling us that our intellectual ability, our personality traits, our social attitudes, our interests, our talents, our degree of religiosity, meaning the extent to which we are committed to and engage in religious activities, have a genetic component. And no, really? Yes, and see, religion? Yes. And see, This has been a surprise for many, many researchers because the older twin studies, which relied mostly on children, showed that social attitudes and religiosity was really more environmentally influenced. But when you consider that children are at home with their parents and under the guidelines and control of those mothers and fathers, the children don't have the freedom to express their genetic potentials. What's peculiar and yet fascinating is that as we age, genetic influence actually becomes stronger because as we move away from our families, we're free to express our genetic potentials, free from the controls and constraints of our parents. And so religiosity does not refer to affiliation, which does tend to come from the family. It refers more to commitment, spirituality, and these things may be tied to some degree to personality traits, which we know have a genetic component. I'm not going to tell you there's a gene for religiosity, but rather it's probably many, many genes, complex configurations configurations of them that affect many, many traits. What else do you find about these twins raised apart? I mean, you hear apocryphal stories of twins separated since birth, both marry redheaded men and have three daughters and things like that. Well, there are actually two ways that we study these twins. We look at basic personality traits like intelligence, personality, and attitudes. But we also are interested in their own particular stories 
uh, how they met, how they found each other, and what their unusual similarities are. And we do find unusual and striking resemblances among selected cases. For example, we had a set of twins who were reared apart firefighters, and they got into firefighting independently. They met when they were 32. They were volunteer firefighters. Their real jobs were uh, one installing burglar alarms in hotels, the other one installed fire suppression systems. So their real jobs were not that different either. They're both very tall. They both um, carried keys at the side of their belts with big belt buckles and had passions for Chinese food and Budweiser beer. So you see these similarities at the individual level in selected cases, but it's very hard to study these kinds of things across many pairs. But I will say that that we do find these striking similarities much more in identical twins than we do in fraternals. And one of the most interesting pairs that we ever studied, Jack and Oscar, who I write about in my book, Born Together, Reared Apart, and also in an earlier book called Indivisible by Two. Jack and Oscar were born in 1933 in Trinidad to a Jewish father who had left Romania and a German mother who had left Germany. When the marriage soured, the twins were only six months old, and it was decided that the father would keep Jack, the easier twin, in Trinidad and raise him Jewish, and the mother took Oscar back with her to Germany in 1934, and he was raised Catholic, and of course, he entered Germany at the time of the Nazis. Well, <laughs> you're not going to get a pair of twins raised with such different backgrounds, but nevertheless, when the twins came to Minnesota in their 40s for the study, they were amazingly similar in their abilities, in their intelligence, in their personalities, and they both had coped with their different rearing situations in similar ways. For example, Jack was worried that somebody would discover his German roots living in British-controlled Trinidad, so he dealt with that by becoming extremely pro-British. And Oscar, living in Germany, was afraid that somebody would discover his Jewish roots, so he became very pro-German. So the content of the behavior was different, but the broad behavioral pattern was very much the same. And when the twins met, they realized that had their positions been switched, they both would have become the person whose views and values they despised. So even though Jack and Oscar were immediately friendly, they each held views that the other one found repugnant. But they knew that had the positions been reversed, they would have both ended up being the other one, showing that environments, cultural environments that you grow up in, are really do shape your identity to a large degree. And that pair illustrated that fact, I think, better than any other. I'm starting to think that the good take-home message for most parents is, is that it's almost impossible to mess up your children. <laughs> they're, they're pre-programmed. Well, I think that's really not quite the message we want to send home to parents. I think what we want to tell the parents is that all children come into the world with genetic proclivities that underlie their interests and their abilities and their talents. And the best that parents can do for these children is to provide them with opportunities that will nurture those things. Parents should also realize that Different children in the family are going to be quite different, and that what will work with one child will not work with the other. I think that people who, who look at our study as suggesting that parents don't matter are really not reading this. I think that you know there are many different types of situations in which children will thrive, and that's a good thing because it speaks to the flexibility of our species. You know, children do fine in two-parent homes, and they can do fine in a one-parent home, and they can do fine in a group home, as long as they have the social supports that support normal human development. Uh, so that's where parents can be responsive, and they can also help shy children to feel more comfortable in some situations. They can help rambunctious children to calm down a little bit, but they probably can't make a shy child into an extrovert. That's probably something they can't do. 
And also for all of us, everybody can um, become smarter. Everybody can run, learn to run faster. Everybody can learn to improve, but not everybody can be the same. I think it's a mistake to suppose that. And it's a good thing for our species because we're based upon variability. You have to tell me some heartwarming stories of these twins getting back together, but you actually reunited one set of twins who'd been apart for 78 years. Yes, that is probably one of the, the best stories I could ever share with your listeners. I got a phone call about a year ago from the son of one of these twins, and he'd called to tell me that his mother had just been contacted by a twin in England. This family lived in Oregon, but the twins had been born in England, and the the one twin had moved to the States when she was 25. And through all kinds of research done by the daughter of the twin in England, they were able to track the mother down to uh, Oregon. But the twins had not yet met when I was contacted. And then I learned about a little grant being offered at my university, and I was just desperate to get that money to bring the twins together, and fortunately I did, because they were 78 years old, and they'd been separated since the age of five weeks. So I flew the twin and her daughter from England, and we brought them to a hotel near campus, and the BBC was there to film it. And you know, the twins just met and hugged each other, and they just called each other sister, and it was just the most heartwarming, wonderful thing I've ever witnessed. Now, I have to add a sad note to this story, which I've just learned about recently. About a month ago, just as I was leaving for the International Twin Congress in Budapest, I got an email message from the son of the twin in the U.S. And unfortunately, the twin's cancer had recurred and she'd had to go into the hospital, was there for two days and passed away. And this is a very, very sad ending uh, because the twins had had hardly any time to be with each other. But I spoke to the one in England last week, and she said she was just so grateful to have met her twin after so many years. And the twins had actually been on Skype with one another once a week. And she just felt that at least, you know, they got to meet. That was the important thing. I wish they'd had more time with each other. But the fact that they did meet, that they were able to see each other, I think was just really magnificent. It's very heartwarming. And tell me, do do the twins generally know that there's a twin or do you take them by surprise? Is there something innate within them that, that knows that they are missing a bit of themselves? No, there really isn't. There's no such thing as interviewed knowledge of twinship. Um, most of the reared apart twins that we spoke to who hadn't been told by their adoptive families had no clue that they were a twin. But many of these reared apart twins are adopted, and many adoptees in general do feel like there's a part of their lives that's missing because they were raised in families where they have no biological connection and they often don't look like anybody in the family. So when they discover they have a twin, this is a very big deal. It's a very important relationship. It's a very rare one. Most people don't have twins. And for the first time in their lives, they can meet with someone who shares their characteristics, who looks like them. And so now they say that the missing part of my life has been filled. So the missing part has been filled, but it's not as if they knew they were a twin. Maybe they were searching for something, uh, but it was not a twin because they never knew they had a twin. Now, is this something that would be happening today in the United States? I mean, do authorities try and keep twins together now, knowing what you know? Yes. Twinship in in particular and sipship in general is is getting more and more appreciated in the U.S., and so adoption agencies will try to place twins and siblings together wherever possible. But I will say that even in the U.S., twins are being separated for a number of reasons, and often privately. For example, parents may not always be able to manage or to financially support more than one child at a time. And with 
in vitro fertilization and other artificial, other assisted reproductive technologies, sometimes families are bargaining for two children to end up with four, and that may be too much. So twins are being separated for that reason. There are lots of different reasons uh, why twins might be separated. Perhaps a mother or father pass away, and so twins get adopted into different families. So it still goes on today. We don't know what the frequency of it is, but I think it's happening for different reasons because single mothers now can bear children without the social stigma that attached to itself formally. And, of course, you mentioned the IVF because then you have the other genetic conundrum of two embryos that are identical twins can be born many years apart. Well, with IVF, you don't have identical embryos. You will have fraternal twins for the most part. But I tend not to think of them as twins. I just think of them as siblings because... Twins, by definition, must share their intrauterine environment. And so if they're implanted in different years, even if they're born by the same mother, I wouldn't consider them twins. I think it's really um, an imposition upon them or an expectation of similarity. Could technically have two. You could, but I'll tell you honestly, I don't know if people are doing that. It would be highly unethical if they were doing that. It could be that some people are experimenting privately. I don't know, but it would be completely unethical to do that. Now, I'll tell you briefly about a study that was done in the U.S. in the 1960s. It was done with a Louise Wise Adoption Agency that would house single mothers. And if there were twins, the agency was advised to separate them, believing that children growing up together would not get enough individual parental attention. So they were advised to separate twins. And then a researcher, or actually a psychoanalyst, not a researcher, in New York City learned about this and thought it would be a great way to study twins. And so this encouraged the agency to do this for more and more twins. So there were five sets of twins separated, three sets of identicals who were separated. These twins and triplets were, were followed for a number of years, but it, was, it proved to be a very unethical, exper- unethical experiment. And so by the time it concluded, the researcher knew this, and he put all the data into the Yale University archives with the stipulation that they would not be opened until 2066. So if anyone is causing uh, embryos to divide and implanting them in different mothers, I don't think it's quite ethical. What advice would you give to the parents of twins now? The advice I would give is to allow them to celebrate their twinship, but also to make sure these children develop as individuals. That means that if they want to go to school together, I think that's terrific. Just make sure they sit at different tables and have their hair worn differently so that people can tell them apart and call them by the proper name. If they're in the same classroom, whether as children or as older students, sit apart during tests because if you produce the same answers, you may get accused of cheating. That sounds awful, but I've been working with many, many cases in the U.S. where this happens, even at the college level. I would also say to parents of twins that if the identicals like to be together, that's perfectly fine as long as they're happy and have friends. With fraternal twins, you want to make sure that um, they're not forced to be together all the time because they may have very different interests, uh, talents, may like different kinds of people. And the boy-girl twins we've not talked about, but this is a very important kinship. What usually happens there is that girls become a little maternal. They, they develop faster socially, intellectually, physically over the boys, and the boys may feel mothered at times. This may be an opportunity to just encourage a little bit of separation so that the boys can develop as they will. Really interesting research. And you believe that twins really can hold the key to a whole lot of health issues for the rest of us. I really do. It's a simple and very elegant experiment that can just tell us so much about human behavior and disease. Professor Nancy Siegel of California State University 
Fullerton with her amazing research and insight into twins. Do you think they raise more questions than they give answers? Dr Siegel's research and information on her books are available on her website and we'll put links to those on the ABC Baby Talk webpage. The stories there are part tragic, part heartwarming and, frankly, quite amazing. It seems that twins, and particularly those without stable families to be raised in, have very much been the victims of our society and its ideas about what makes a good family. And I suspect some of these conundrums are going to increase with our use of assisted reproduction and IVF. I'm Penny Johnston, and I'll see you next time on Baby Talk. ABC Baby Talk is a weekly podcast on ABC Digital Radio, wherever you get your podcasts and on the ABC Listen app. Like us on Facebook to find out as soon as a new episode is ready. Just search for ABC Baby Talk. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.